I'll tell you what it means. It means you don't get paid. <laughs> Asked to share a few reflections this morning, and I think reflection is you look back, and I'm not sure how that's going to help us go forward, John, but we're going to try for it, okay? We look back at a few things and see some of the strengths of Bethel, and I'm very, very proud of this church. When I think of Bethel, it has meant so much to me. I first came here when I was about 16 years old, and I was just a smart-mouthed kid. I was living on my own at the time. But when I became, uh, when I began to come to Bethel, that's when I began to find connections. And I realized if I look back and reflect, when I say Bethel has meant so much to me for over half a century, it invariably means people. It's always people. And there are so many during that time, older ones that helped me when I was younger, many of whom have died, others retired, moved away, new people born, and lots of changes, but it's always the people. When I first came to Bethel, this is where I saw stable families for the first time. I learned to somewhat get along with people. We're still working on that one, but sometimes it works. It's where I met my wife, who today, by the way, is working with the children in one of the classes down below, the sort of thing she's done since she was a teenager. And I would say, especially to young people, there is no better place to grow, to learn to develop socially, to make friends, to learn your faith, to determine life values, to raise your family, than in the context of a church. I worked with one man for over 30 years. Near the end of our career together, he said, you know, if I had it to do over again, I'd raise my family in a church. I don't care about God and religion and that stuff, but I see that people do better in a church. I said, you know, they're kind of connected. You do see that, don't you? He said, yeah, but I don't care. I, I see that as a strength I didn't have for my children. And so it is the people that make up Bethel and have meant so much to me. And so if you really want to encourage John, Pastor John will be tremendously encouraged by this, show up. 85% of success in life is showing up. That's about all it takes. You will encourage him. You'll also encourage the other person at the end of the seat that you're sitting on. We encourage one another by our very presence. Have you ever been in a room with not too many and someone in, comes in and looks at you and says, where is everybody? And you say, I'm here. What about me? No, no, you don't count, you know, but show up. That does a lot. There's a lot of you people here, and a lot of them are getting older. You know, when I was young in the church, the young people all sat in the back rows and talked back there. And sometimes I come, I see the same people. They're still there. But just for a minute, help me. If you have attended this church, Bethel's been your church, for 30 years or more, would you stand? Mm. All right, I, I want to get brave a minute. If, you're, if you've been here for 50 years, stand, keep standing. Some of you were born and you were little, but... You got people here for 50 years. Thank you, thank you. But this is, this is what makes a church. Whether or not you raise your family or even have a family, your friends, your relatives will be encouraged by it. David says in Psalms 107:32, let us exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the congregation. Simply coming together, the people become the family of God. Secondly, when I look back, and I would encourage this, is find a place 
to serve. I know you've heard this and I've heard this, that when you go to a church, you know the problem with the church is 20% of the people run everything. Well, I can tell you from experience, that's true. And those 20% are very tired. They'd love to have help from the other 80%. Consider the options for service. If somebody asks you, maybe give it a try. If you say, I don't know if that's for me, say, well, I can try it for three months or if not for some other time. When I first came here as a teenager, they asked me to help in a junior boys class. And uh, those were miscreants if there ever were any, but I said, okay, and I think my duty was to try to keep some sort of order. I certainly wasn't teaching them anything. I was just a helper in there. But it began, and over the next half a century, I think I served in about every function there was in the church. Maybe because they didn't do very well, so they said, no, that's not it. Try it over here, no. You know, pretty soon you get them all covered, and they, then they make you emeritus and send you out the door. So that's what happens. <laughs> but, of course, what I was most surprised in was, and those of you who stood up at 30 years will remember, it was 20 years ago, right now, that Pastor Lloyd Jacobson resigned retired, and moved back to the Midwest, Minneapolis. And we formed a search committee, five people, and we worked, and I was one of those five, and we worked as hard as we could for a full year, and we went through a whole list of resumes, and we got the right candidate, and he was perfect fit, and he was God's man for the hour. Don't ask me how things, those things work. I have no clue. You do your best and leave the rest to God all the time. But we thought we had crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and everything was in place. And he was to come on a Sunday morning and Saturday. He called in and said, I'm not coming. I don't think it's right after all. Have no idea any more than that. Well, everybody was stunned after a year of that. Went back to the board, of course. That was now their problem. And I had just retired from teaching high school for over 30 years and I was at home when I got a call three days later asking me if I would come down for a meeting to discuss where they should go next and when I came down I was surprised they asked me would you be an interim till we get someone the problem is you see we thought we had someone now we have no one you'll be better than nothing now <laughs> now they didn't say that but I could see it in their sad little faces and I thought it would be a few months, but one thing led to another. And in one form or another, interim pastor and then associate pastor and then lead pastor, it was almost 12 years. You don't know. I certainly wouldn't have had any clue of that coming down the road. You try wherever the door is open. And you find open doors, and since I've left here, there's other open doors for teaching or writing or things like this that you had never expected before. But I know what it's like when the pastor didn't show up that morning. So, Pastor John, I'm glad you showed up last week. That's a huge step right there. I'm glad for that. About During that time, I had a doctor's appointment, and Dr said to me, she said, what are you doing now? And I told her I was a pastor. She said, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I said, why is that weird? She said, well, don't you have to have a call or something? I said, I got a call, a phone call. <laughs> what do you think you're going to get for a call from God? When someone asks you to help, that's a call. What are you going to do, go home and pray about it? I mean, listen, folks, the gospel's got to be real. The call is when you're asked to do something. Stay open for whatever God may bring your way. And whatever you try to do, by the way, it will probably grow you more than it will help the people you're serving, but give it a try anyway. Paul, writing to Titus, said this, Remind the people, and that's what I'm trying to do today as a reflection, remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good. Slandering no one. Be peaceable and considerate. And show true humility to all. 
The third thing I would like to give you is not a specific duty except a bit of a warning. And it actually came out of me reading the writings of a pastor named Alexander Schmemann, who was a pastor in New York for many years and then uh, dean of St. Vladimir's Seminary where he was a professor for many years and then died of cancer far too young. I think he was only 62 or 63. But he'd been teaching for years, and the last three or four years, he was too weak to teach full-time. But he would come to the graduation to tell the young ministers, leaving a seminary, to tell them, we have told you about the love of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, and the gospel is good news. But I'm here to remind you, the devil is real. Satan is real and he wants you to fail. <clears throat> and that's true today. We don't want to concentrate on that, but I do remind you, Satan is real. He does not want Bethel to succeed. He attacks when we are weak, when we feel tired, when those things come, we give in sometimes to the wrong impulses. St. Peter said, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that this same experience you are suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. But after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself establish and strengthen you. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Don't tell him things he shouldn't hear. He wants to cause dissension. Watch your words. Watch your motives. Give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, you have committees and boards and councils, and sometimes they can spend hundreds of hours struggling their best over some issue when they're all through it gets repeated and a summarized in one sentence that someone says oh, I don't understand that that's I can't agree with that and you have no idea what they may have gone through give the benefit of the doubt where you can ask carefully get your facts right before spreading them and if it wasn't because you'd think I'm old and senile, I'd tell you to stay off Facebook, but do what you want. <laughs> but I know this, it is better to think the best of someone and be wrong than to think the worst and be right. In the Bible, there's a man named Barnabas. Actually, he's not named Barnabas. We call him Barnabas, and its name is used over 20 times, but that is a nickname. It means encourager. He was such an encourager that that's what he began to be called. And he was an encourager. He's the one who first brought Paul, who was this wild man who had been converted, and brought him in and began to introduce him to the church and stick up for him. Their names get associated, Paul's name with Barnabas, 17 times in the New Testament. The first five times it is Barnabas took Paul, Barnabas led Saul, Barnabas told Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then it changes, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas for the next 12 times. Paul clearly becomes the head and the leader of the missionary work of the church. But it was the encourager who took second place who caused it to happen. By the way, anyone know his name? What was Barnabas' name? Nobody? Joseph. 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 Thank you, Joel. The encourager. Wouldn't it be nice if sometimes later said, oh, what was his name? I can't remember his name. We just always called him the encourager.
Bethel means more to me than I can tell you. And I pray for it. Every day, and all the members of the board, as I said, I really do not like doing this because of the difficulty, but I do like it because you mean so much. To me, I have a lot more, but I'm going to stop with this. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. rock and my redeemer. Second Timothy 2 verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed or who correctly handles. And Ephesians 4 first uh, verse 1 through 3. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And again in verse 11, So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, Pastor John, if you uh, do just the things that uh, Martino read, that would be great. But we... uh... We also want to give you a charge and ask, do you promise to seek to live a life worthy of the calling you have received? Do you promise to do your best to humbly serve the people of Bethel Christian Church with a shepherd's heart? Do you promise to correctly handle the word of God, teaching, encouraging, and diligently guarding the truth? To oversee ministries that reach out to the lost? to serve the needs of the believers in all stages of their Christian walk, to equip the people of Bethel, that's all of us, for works of ministry and service, and to promote unity and growth toward maturity of Bethel's diverse congregation so that all the people of Bethel can together attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Fullness of Christ. Do you accept these responsibilities, Pastor John? I do. Great. By the way, if you don't already have this, you can be reading along with us. Yes, okay. And one more time from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.
Again, congregation, if you would just do what the Bible says, that would be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. We, being human beings, want to give you an, a little bit rewarding of that charge. And I would ask you to stand with me and to, be, to please listen to the charge that I'm going to give to you. Congregation of Bethel Christian Church, do you agree to extend a warm welcome and Christian love? Pastor John, his wife, and his daughters, Betty and Anna, do you agree to hold Pastor John in the highest regard, acknowledging his God-appointed authority as the shepherd of Bethel Christian Church? Do you agree to encourage, support, I love that Barnabas part, by the way, Pastor Norm, do you agree, agree to encourage, support, and follow the leadership of Pastor John? Do diligently, diligently seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in Christ and live in peace with each other? To faithfully serve and encourage the fellow members of the body of Christ under the leadership of Pastor John? And to be a people of prayer and thanksgiving, holding the Morose family up before the Lord in prayer and praying for Bethel Christian Church and its body of believers. Do you, Bethel Christian Church, accept these responsibilities? And if you do, say, I do. This feels like a wedding. <laughs> okay, um, you may be seated, but I would like the deacons and the elders to come up here with us and Pastor John's family. We... Commission him and lay hands upon him. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the full measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine to him be the glory through all generations forever and ever in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, just like uh, Pastor Norm Emeritus said, uh, I also received a call from Stan Wessels on, uh, I believe it's Thursday evening. And he asked if I would pray, be one of the deacons to pray over the pastor and his family. And so I called to Stan back and said, yes, I will. I'll be honored to. But in my case, uh, I wrote it down first because I knew that if I got up here, I totally blank out and forget everything that I was going to pray. So I apologize that I'm reading my prayer, but uh, just as well, I think. Amen. Father in heaven, we want to thank you today for this is truly an amazing day, an incredible time in the history of Bethel. You appointed this day a long time ago. And we thank you, Father, that you've been working behind the scenes all this time, preparing John and his family, speaking to their hearts about this transition. You had everything planned and laid out ahead of time. 
You are God. You're incredible. You're in control of everything. Nothing in our lives happens without your permission. Your word in Romans 8.28 says that all things will work together for our good. We want to thank you, God, that today you are performing your word. Father, we acknowledge that there's a lot of work to be done here in this city. Sometimes we would like to know what lies ahead. We'd like to see a map showing us all the twists and turns of our journey ahead. Somehow we'd feel more prepared if we could just visualize what's on the road ahead. However, you have a better way. You want us to spend quality time with you. You are not necessarily going to show us what's on the road ahead, but you will thoroughly equip us for that journey. Your abiding presence in our lives is the best roadmap available ever. So, Father, we lift up our congregation to you today. We pray that we will be a people of prayer and have a heart of thanksgiving, that we will encourage and support our pastor and his family. We acknowledge today that you, O oh God, appointed Pastor Maroos to be our leader. We thank you, Father, for bringing the Maroos family into our lives. We pray for a hedge of protection upon their lives and that everything that they put their hands to will truly be blessed. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Do I want an introduction or do I want to get up there? I want to preach. Amen? Yeah? (laughs) I'm going to grab my Bible here quickly and uh, the kids can be dismissed uh, to Kid Zone if they're still in here. Thank you guys for your patience. And thank you, Norm. This is uh, it's pretty neat to see Pastor Norm here. Um, Norm doesn't know this yet, but uh, when Bethel asks him to do something temporarily, they have a long-term sneaky goal in mind. So we're asking Norm to come fully out of retirement and give us another 25 years. No? He's not only my friend, uh, he's my landlord, uh, so I have to be careful here. But I, I do thank him, and I am truly humbled today. I'm humbled because some of you have been going here, and this is, uh, this is to honor you, longer than I've been alive, and that's, that's no small thing. Um, that makes me want to tread very carefully and continue a legacy and a long journey that God has put Bethel on. And so I want to mention this very quickly before I jump into uh, this shortened sermon. As we have been working on Easter, I think this would be a great time for us to invite people to this new beginning as we enter this awesome season. Last week you did receive one of these cards in your bulletin. There's also some of these in the back of every pew. And let's do this together as a first step. Uh, let's fill this card out and it's just between you and the Lord as, as we make commitments together to work together to build Bethel up and to use Easter as a way to do that. And there's several different services that we are putting on that you can check off on this card as well as just a line at the bottom um, which gives you uh, a chance to write a name down and pray for a neighbor or someone that you want to invite to one of these services. And let's see God do something great uh, this Easter. Amen? Amen? Let's do this. It's a rainy, rainy, cold day, but it's a great day. Everybody just, just clap and praise the Lord. There we go. You've done a great job. I know it, it has not been easy, but I praise the Lord for your patience and your diligence. And uh, it has begun. It has begun. So let's do this. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, and let's have some joyous time together in fellowship in the Word of God. And we will start in Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we will work to Revelation by the end of the sermon. I am kidding. We are having desserts in about 20 minutes. I cannot do that. And let me again say, Norm, thank you for being here. It's incredibly special to me. Norm is a friend and a mentor, and uh, I lean on him. Uh, So thank you, my friend, my brother. And uh, again, I I am honored to continue what so many men of God have done and so many wonderful people here 
at Bethel. But I do, I do feel like I've just pulled up to an intersection. Kind of like one of these San Francisco intersections. I'm, I'm, still get, I'm a city guy, but I'm still getting used to this. And so I, I still pull up to one of these intersections in our city, and I do about 10 different looks. I'm looking at crosswalks. I'm looking at uh, one-way streets. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. And I feel, I feel like that with Bethel just a little bit. We have come to a bit of a stop, and now we have all of these different ways, these different options, these different visions, these different directions that we can begin moving as a church, you see? And so the real question, the very humble question that we are looking at now is, where should we go? What is the direction that God is sending Bethel? Do we go left or right or, or, or straight? Um, how, do we, how do we go about this thing? What is the vision that God has given us? And to explain the direction that I believe God wants to lead us in, and this is not just the new guy coming in and thrusting a vision on us. This is the vision that Bethel has labored to move the church into for years and years. And so to explain the direction that I believe God wants to lead this church in together in this new journey. I want to talk to us about two things this morning, very quickly. The church and the city. The church and the city. So write those down, put them in your phone, and let's make this a matter of conviction and contemplation and prayer. Speaking of my own heart, God has given me two loves. God has given me many loves, but recently God has really birthed two loves in my heart, two callings. And the reason I say two is because one will not work without the other. And those two callings, those two loves are the church and the city. I, I love San Francisco. God loves San Francisco. Do you know that San Francisco is God's idea? This whole urban city thing is, is God's idea. God loves the city, and God loves the church. He gave his son to birth it. And so I believe the scriptures teach us that without the church, we don't reach the city. And so these are, these are partnerships in the mind of God, and they need to continue to be partnerships in our mind. One fluid motion, the church and the city. And so the vision here is to continue to build a strong, God-centered, gospel-centered church that can impact the city for generations to come. And the more these two loves shape my heart, um, even when I was in a, a suburban area, uh, two, three years ago, the more that these two loves, the love for the church and the love for the city, begin to shape my heart, the more I begin to look at God's vision for the city. For two years, I begin to ask myself, questions about God's mind on the city. What is this thing all about? You have the, the Sodom and Gomorrah mindset to some, and then you have this, this more strategic Pauline strategy of God wants to reach these urban areas and transform them. And so I begin to write down questions in my mind and ask them, and I want to share a few with you and, and share what God's vision is for San Francisco and how it relates to Bethel and her future. Why did God create cities? Go to Genesis 2. Check this out right here. Now, we are in a perfect Edenic state here in Genesis chapter 2. I long for that day to come again. And when we talk about this, this pre-fall, this pre-sin existence of God, it's, it's euphoria, it's beautiful. God and man dwelling together in, in love and harmony. Pick up in 2.8 of the book of Genesis. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So we see a development of a garden-like thing being formed by God. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So we, here we have growth. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. Where, now watch this, where there is, there is gold. Why, why did 
Moses or the author of Genesis have to write that. There's gold in the ground. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there as well. It's as if God is hiding metals in the ground. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of of Cush. Drop down to verse 15. So here's what we know. God has created a garden. He has run a river into the garden. So there's growth. And then he has has hid metals, precious stones within that garden. And then he tells man in 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in that garden of Eden. And now he says, work it, keep it. So what do you think God wants man to find? He wants him to find these precious metals. And he wants him to find these precious stones with the idea that man would eventually build cities. The whole plan in the mind of God was urban. It's amazing, isn't it? I know, I, I know in my mind's eye, I think, of, uh, I think of the Garden of Eden as kind of that. It's kind of those paintings we've all seen. It's a couple of naked people running around in kind of this strange jungle. But in the mind of God, he's developing a world. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for garden is a fenced garden. Fenced by city. And you can see this progressively take place in the book of Genesis as human beings keep going out. What is the first thing they do? They develop cities. It is in the mind of man by God that God's goal is in creating this world is creating urban areas. And this blew me away. Well, that's how the first bookend starts in the Bible. Now go all the way to the end. Go to Revelation 21, and we see something very similar happen. The book ends, the consummation of the story, the end all of the story of the Bible is what? Genesis, uh, Revelation 21 and verse 1. Here's John's insight into the future of when the gospel takes full effect and God is done with the story and eternity is in full force. The earth is being remade. 21 verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy what? New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, the city of God. It's now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Amen? Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, when you look at verse 4, you say, that, that is going to exist in a city. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, no pain, no suffering, no, no anger, no tears. But God's vision of the future and purpose of the future is to bring city down to earth and dwell. As a matter of fact, that city would become the new temple, the dwelling place of God. So we have these bookend pieces to God's story. Genesis and Revelation, and they both center on these urban environments. God loves cities. Cities are God's ideas where humans would come together and create and care for one another. Cities are God's ideas because mass amounts of people could come together in one place and develop the arts and develop the imagination and de- develop stories and music and culture would be created. And in those cities too, with mass amounts of people, there would be healing and care. Humans would take care of humans. That's the mind of God, the story of God. But here's the amazing tension that enters in to the Bible. What happens to a city when sin enters into this plan? An urban area where hundreds of thousands, where millions of people are designed to come together and and share and create culture and creativity and help each other and be there for each other and support each other. What happens when you have that amount of people and, and that amount of diversity entering into a city and yet sin has taken it? 
Cities become places of pain. Cities become places of abuse, of manipulation, of racism, of greed, of power. And so God's original plan of the city has been corrupted by sin. It started beautiful in Genesis. It ends beautiful in the city in Revelation. But the middle of the Bible, the middle journey that we're in is corrupted. The city, the city is corrupted. Beautiful in a thousand ways, but, but laced with, with a sin that's corrupting man. And God is not done with the city. This is the, the amazing story of God. God doesn't just drive the city away. God sends his people into cities. Watch this. Follow me here. He sends his people into cities to become a city within a city to heal the city. In other words, what God does is he develops and plants churches in cities. Our own Christian city, if we can call it that. The church of Jesus Christ dropped right into the middle of a city that's corrupted by sin. A city of light. The people of God. And it's now our call to infiltrate in a million beautiful and creative ways into this city and heal it and bring it back through the gospel. Through mercy, through justice. Uh, Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. I begin to see, as you go to Matthew chapter 5, I I begin to see Paul making his way through the book of Acts into these urban areas, these cities. And the first thing he does is he plants these churches. He begins to form communities, Christian communities, Christian cities, if we can call them that, out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Um, And these new cities of light, the church of Jesus Christ, are designed to push out and begin to change the corruption of the physical city they are in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. This is what he tells his guys. This is what he tells his followers. You are the light of the world. And, of course, that would have to come together through the sending of the Holy Spirit, that the only light we have is the light of Jesus Christ in us. But he says, he says to this embryonic church, if we can even call it that, you, you are the light of the world. And now, now watch what he calls his people, a city. A city set on a hill, and, and it cannot be hid. He says, you are the city within the city to heal the corruption of the city. And if you can imagine, you can get the visual in your mind's eye. This is what would would be in the mind of of a Jew in that time. You can think of someone weary from travel and maybe the sun is going down and picture this. And they've been through the wilderness traveling, a, a desert wilderness. And they're looking for water and they're looking for refuge. And cities had walls around them and if you could just get into the walls you could find a place of refuge and healing and safety and the travel's been long the heart is weary and these cities made out of material located in the area they would look white the the walls would look an off shade of white and the traveler would would begin to see maybe the light shine off of that city and he would realize if i can just escape the chaos of the travel and get into that place, I can find refuge and healing. And this is Jesus' mindset for the church here. The people of San Francisco, we want them to know that if you can get into this body, if you can hear the gospel, if you can find life in the new community called Bethel Christian Church, God can change us. And then we send people back out to infiltrate in a godly way and and influence the darkness in that city and begin to heal it through our jobs, through our travel, through the restaurants we go into, through the schools that we can go into and help, through evangelism. This is the plan of God. I have listened and fast forward to 60 years of Bethel history and it's so exciting. And I hear this theme over and over again. A church for the city. It's just not that easy. Uh, It will take time. But look at this strategic location and look at God's mind and plan. 
And we want to be a church for the city. We want to be a city within a city, a city of light. To help be a part of a movement of churches to heal the city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't, I don't mean just evangelism, friends. I don't mean us just going out and witnessing and winning, winning people to Jesus and leaving them. I mean creating a community or continuing to create a beautiful community called Bethel Christian Church where people can come in and find new life. We speak to them out there. We talk to them out there. We partner with parts of the city out there and and we invite them in and we tell them there's life to be found in the new city, the new community called the church. Which means we've got a a long, patient, beautiful project on our hands, don't we? I I am 37 years old. And I am in no hurry. Uh, youth is sometimes a little overrated and I would just like to grow as a church and move patiently in God's timing towards this end. But it does mean a couple things that before we can do this at the level we want to, uh, this church has to continue healing. Amen? It doesn't mean we stop reaching people and stop attempting to reach the city. Uh, I had a, a great conversation with a dear friend of mine in here and, and we had that conversation. We, we can't wait till Bethel's ready to reach the city because churches are never ready. They're, they're a beautiful mess. That's it. But we do have to take aim at continuing to heal the heart of the church. And I thank God that some of you are here who have been through some hard times here and and we want a new beginning to begin the process of healing hearts i believe it's going to start with the ministry of the word i am so hungry and excited to just teach you the word of god so god brings and knits our hearts together but our hearts need to heal we need a hope a new hope to continue on a legacy of this great mission. We need to organize. We need to reorganize. We need to put things in place. And that's going to take time. That's going to take patience. So yes, we will work on reaching the city, but we will work on healing the church so that when we do reach people and they are brought in here, we can effectively minister the way we want to. And as the Holy Spirit of God brings Bethel together, because it's God's will and plan, the Spirit will impact this city through things like evangelism prayer I'm not sure I've seen a church pray as much as this church and we're not going to stop there amen evangelism prayer social justice partnerships with other churches we can't do this alone this is a city wide thing But it should be said that if Christians are in a place long enough, that place should be changed. And I believe that can happen through us and continue to happen through us. It is not, I don't think a day has gone by that someone has not come to me and told me about how Bethel, how God has used Bethel to change life. So we are going to commit to continuing to heal the heart of Bethel, to organize Bethel, And continue reaching out. And the more the heart of Bethel is healed, the more we will change the city through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So I want to say this. If people aren't able to come together like cities were designed and feel like they can belong in this city and be loved and find protection and find value and create In the city of San Francisco, let Bethel be God's city within this city where people can find it here. And I believe this is God's mission for us. And yes, (laughs) it's hard to live in the Bay, amen? Some of you are thinking about moving. Some of you struggle with this whole thing. This This is a hard place to live. 
And I know that things have been hard from time to time at Bethel, laced with miraculous times. But I want you to consider, wherever you're at this morning, being a part of this healing work at Bethel and sacrificing with me and my family as our desire is to see God change this city. Amen? So I wonder if we can do this. I wonder if we could all bow our heads in a moment of prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to have His way with our will. As we enter a new journey, And that you would pray to God and allow Him to search your heart. And that you would consider your commitments to a fresh beginning as we carry on and continue on a great history. But continue or recommit to this vision. God wants to use us to do great things as a church. Pray however the Holy Spirit is leading you. Maybe you would even pray this morning as things have been challenging at times here that you would give it you would give God another chance through this ministry. But above all, we would be so full of hope and so excited about what God wants to do. His vision is so great. Let us be a people who yield to it. And let us look back one day and marvel at what he's done. Just spend a few more minutes praying.